for those of you that don't know, um, last week I was not here and a few other uh, students were not here as well because we went to the country of Haiti. We went to Haiti, which was, uh, man, it was awesome. Such a, such a good trip. In fact, we got a picture from right before we went to the airport. This is us. We're all smiling. It's early in the morning. We're excited. Uh, man, it was so good. In fact, the, uh, this is, this is kind of fun. See, we're all smiling because for most of the people in this picture, they had no idea um, how hot Haiti was going to be uh, and that we weren't going to have any air conditioning. And so, uh, so this is kind of the ignorance is bliss. You know what I'm saying? It's like we had no idea how hot it was going to be. Uh, there's a reason people say it's hot is Hades. Like Haiti, but without, anyways. Okay, so um, I'm just kidding. They don't say it for that reason. But uh, Haiti was hot, but I'm telling you, it was incredible. We had a blast. And if it's okay with you, I want to share kind of a few stories about Haiti because uh, I'm telling you, it was life changing for many of us. The first thing uh, I want to talk about is when we were there, we actually got a really, really cool chance to hang out with a lot of the kids in a town called Piot. Piot was the community that we stayed in the whole week. And uh, I'm telling you, we had a blast with these kids. They were so fun. We, you know, we'd like, you know, wrestle with them. And we didn't really know much Creole, which is the language they speak. And so we knew like, my name is, and what is your name? And that's pretty much all, all that we knew. The only thing we could say, but we'd be smiling and cutting up and stuff. And there was, uh, there was one girl specifically that she was probably about eight or nine years old. And uh, like, I, I have a difficult time kind of explaining this. So here's the best that I can do. Um, it's like she had joy like hidden in her eyes. I'm telling you, like, like, like in her eyes, there was so much joy, there was so much happiness, and so it was just so engaging, and you just wanted to kind of, you know, hang out with her and high-five her and all this stuff. And the other reason I loved hanging out with this girl was because she would mimic everything that I did, like everything. So if I would smile, then she would smile. If I would frown, then she would frown. You know, if I tilted my head to the side, she would she'd do that as well. Uh, and I actually uh, captured this on camera, okay, just to prove to you this actually happened. So this is a picture of me and that girl, and you can see I made that face, and then there she is. And she's making just the cutest face ever. And you can see it like in her eyes, just so much joy, so much, so much happiness. Uh, well, here's what I didn't know was that as, you know, I'm, I'm like taking a lot of pictures because I want to make sure that I get this good moment. What I didn't realize was that she was really good at kind of getting other people on her side. So instead of it just being her mimicking me, she got everyone else in the picture to mimic me as well. So this is the next picture that I took. And there's all of us. We're all making silly, goofy faces, uh, which was so fun. Uh, so incredible. So we got to hang out with the kids in Piat, which was so fun. And the other really cool thing that we got to do was we got to go and spend some time with the leadership council of Piat. Okay, so the leadership council, this is the group of people that made all of the major decisions for, for the town of Piat. And the cool thing was um, most of the people in this group uh, were believers. They loved Jesus. And so anytime there was a big decision that had to be made, uh, they would gather together. They would pray about it. They would ask God, God, we have some ideas for what we want to do, but God, what do you want to do here in Piat? And so as they began to pray and process and talk to other people in the community, they came up with a list of their highest priorities for what they wanted to see done in the town of Piat. And these were all local Haitians living there in Piat that were elected to be a part of this leadership council. And we got to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them, which I'm telling you is like, like such a big deal. So as we're talking to them, they're laying out their strategy for what they feel like God is leading them to do. And the biggest thing, the number one thing, was for them to build a clinic there in Piat. And the reason is uh, healthcare in Haiti is a little bit different than healthcare here. Um, and so here's what I mean. If, if you get sick 
you can drive about five minutes and you can go to an urgent care place or like a day clinic and you can get whatever, you know, medicines, whatever you need. Or you can just go to Kroger and get some over-the-counter stuff if it's not too bad. Now, if it's a little more serious than that, you can take a trip to the hospital, which is probably about 10 minutes away, uh, or you can go to the ER and they can, you know, treat you right away. And if it's really bad, all you got to do is just get a phone and you dial three numbers, right, 911, and then like a hospital on wheels comes to you, it's called an ambulance, which is crazy. Hospital on wheels comes to you and then they load you up in this hospital on wheels and they take you to the hospital. So you don't even have to drive there, okay? That's how it works here in America. You already know that. Now, in Piat, things work a little bit different than that. So in Piat, if you get sick, um, well, there's, there's really no cars in Piat. Definitely no one owns a car in Piat. So you have to walk down the side of this mountain, which was incredibly steep. We actually walked about uh, not even halfway down the mountain and we were all exhausted and we were tired and we did not want to make the you know, trek back up. Uh, but if you were sick, you had to make that walk all the way down the mountain because there's no clinic in Piat. And then you had to walk a little bit further to get to the nearest clinic. And so you're talking maybe two, three, maybe even four hours of walking. And again, we're talking you're sick. And so you're sick and you have to do all that walking. Now, if you needed to go to the hospital, it's even more serious and an even further distance away to get to the nearest hospital. And you can't rent a car because where's the money going to come from? You don't have the money to rent a car. And so as you can imagine, as the, um, well, well, the other option, of course, if you're, if you're sick and you're in Piat, if you don't want to do all that, which is really difficult to do, the other option is to just sit there in Piat and just hope you get better. And so a lot of the people there in this town of Piat, um, they had watched friends and neighbors and sometimes even family members die from treatable causes because of the fact that there was no clinic nearby. And it broke their heart. And it broke the heart of God. And so as they began to pray and process and say, God, what do you want to do? The number one thing they felt like God was leading them to do, which makes sense to us, is to build a clinic. Now, here's the really cool thing is not only did they have plans to build a clinic, but someone in the town actually donated a piece of land and said, we believe in the idea to build a clinic, so we have a spot of land that we want you to build the clinic on. And we, they actually took us, the, our you know, American team, they took us to the land that they were gonna eventually build the clinic on. And so this is a cool moment because we got to go and see this land and just kind of dream with them, you know? We had kind of the picture in our minds of what it would look like to have a clinic there and people that were sick could go uh, to that clinic. And, and, and as we're sitting there, uh, we start thinking that this is a lot like the promised land for them, right? And there's a story of the people of God that they, they crossed over the Jordan River. God did something miraculous. They crossed over the Jordan River. And right before getting to the promised land, they took 12 stones from the Jordan River and they stacked them up to remember what God had already done and what he was going to do in the promised land. And so it seemed only appropriate for us, since we're with 12 stone, that we do the same thing. So all of our students each got a rock and then one of our leaders got a rock as well and we stacked them up to remember all that God had done to bring them to that point and because we believed that this land was the promised land. We actually have a picture of that as well. So this is, this is our team along with uh, a lot of the members of the leadership council standing around. Um, and, then, uh, and then you can see right there at the bottom, that's, that's the 12 stones. So we're gonna zoom in. Um, this is what it looks like. So, so that's, that's the first uh, campus in Haiti right here of 12 stone. Uh, so this is the 12 stones all, all stacked together. And, uh, and, and, and this was a cool moment. And many of us, myself included, were kind of brought to tears as we were talking about, we believe this is your promised land. It was such a moving experience. But 
the best was yet to come. Because after we gathered together and after we, you know, stacked up the rocks and after we took the picture, then we prayed. And it was Haitians and Americans alike all gathered together and we prayed. And all of us together, we lifted our hands in the air and we began to pray that God would use this land to heal people, to, 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 to get away with, you know, to not have any more disease, to treat these curable diseases, to finally bring health to Piat. And as we're praying, all of us, you know, Americans, we're, you know, we're praying uh, in English and the Haitians are praying in Creole and we're all praying together. And I did something that I think is illegal if you're a Christian. Some of you have done this before. But, you know, when you're all praying together, you're supposed to keep your eyes closed. Well, I kind of broke the rules a little bit. And I opened my eyes. And I actually stopped praying because I wanted to hear the Haitian people pray. Because there is nothing like listening to the people from Haiti pray. And as I looked around, I saw them with such passion and such enthusiasm with their hands in the air, praying over this land that they believed God was going to build a clinic right there. And listening to the people of Haiti pray, I'm telling you, it was incredible. And the more I start listening to them, the more I'm hearing them connect with God in a way that I don't think I've connected with God in that way. Like, like, like they're quoting scripture, they're bringing all sorts of passion and vigor to the way that they pray. It's, it's as if there's like a spiritual breakthrough, this emotional breakthrough that happens as they are praying over this land. And as I'm listening to them, I can't help but think, like, I think we're doing it wrong. You know, like, I don't think we know how to pray. Because these people in Haiti, they're doing something different than the way that we're doing it. You know, because normally when we pray, you know, we're sitting there and we're kind of, you know, right there at our desk and the test is laid down and we're like, I got to pray. God, I did not study, so I need a miracle right now. Amen, right? And that's how we pray, you know? Or, or like maybe, you know, you see a girl, and so you're like, God, please, if you've ever wanted to do anything for me, get her to notice me, right? Or girls, get him to notice me. Like, please, please. And so that's your prayer. You know, for some of you, you're praying about your parents, and you're like, God, can we trade? Like, can we, can we trade out parents, you know, because they're acting crazy. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so these are the prayers that we have. And yet the people in Haiti, they're doing something different. And the way they pray, there's so much passion, so much enthusiasm, so much focus on God. And I'm just thinking, I don't know we know how to do this. I don't know if we're doing it right. And I imagine if we lived during the time of Jesus, we would have felt a lot like the disciples of Jesus. Because as they watched Jesus pray, they had the same thought. Like, you know, our, our parents taught us how to pray, but they didn't teach us how to pray like that. Like, Jesus, you're doing something totally different. This is, this is crazy the way that Jesus is praying. In fact, on one occasion, Luke, a follower of Jesus, actually said this. Um, yeah, Luke said one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, Jesus, we're watching you pray, and I don't think we're doing it right. I think you know something that we don't know. God, Jesus, would you teach us? Teach us how to pray. And thankfully for us, Jesus actually did that. And he taught them how to pray. So I want to look together at his model prayer that he laid out for the disciples. And this is found in Matthew chapter 6. Um, so you can go ahead, grab your Bibles. They should be like right close to you, maybe under your chair or uh, below the chair in front of you. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 9. And it's on page 970. Page 970, Matthew chapter 6. Now, 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 I have to warn you as you're turning there and as we're getting ready to talk about this, for many of you, especially those of you that grew up in church, the next couple of verses we're going to read are incredibly familiar to you. 
This is not going to be anything you, uh, uh, new to you. Uh, in fact, if you grew up Catholic, then you might have even memorized the next couple of verses that we're going to say. Or like if you went to VBS when you were a kid or something, this might have been part of your memory verse or something that they, you, know, you took home with you and you tried to memorize it. So there's nothing, there's nothing that's new about the next couple words that we're going to read. In fact, I don't think there's any special power locked into these phrases or these words that Jesus said. It's not like if you say things just like Jesus said it, then, you know, God's going to do something crazy. It's going to be new. I don't think there's anything like that. See, I don't think there's any breakthrough that happens in repeating his words. I think the breakthrough happens when you reflect his heart. And so as we look at what Jesus actually said, I know that for many of you, you've heard this before. For many of you, you've memorized this before. But I want you to take a new look at these familiar verses because I think inside of them, when you really dig deep, you find that there is something new for the way that you pray. And so this is what Jesus did. It says, this then is how you should pray. And so Jesus begins to teach and he says, our Father in heaven. And then pause. And Jesus begins to address God in a brand new way. See, even though these words are familiar to us, they were not familiar to the people listening during the time of Jesus. This was completely new to them. No one had ever addressed God as dad. This was wild. This was, this was out there. This was like, are you serious? Like, can you even do that? And yet when Jesus began, when Jesus began to talk, the first thing he said is, you gotta know who you're talking to. And before you move on, before you start asking God for stuff and saying, you know, God, things are really tough and could you change this and fix her and fix him and get him to notice me? Before any of that, you gotta know who you're talking to. And Jesus, in his opening sentence, he uses two incredibly huge words. He says, Father and heaven. And when he says Father, this was an incredibly intimate phrase. This was like saying, Dad. And, 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 and most people, when they addressed God, when they talked about God, it was like, you know, oh, great, majestic, you know, you're huge, you know, you're big. It's like, it's like you don't even have time for me. You got other stuff going on. There's other things that you're up to. So, you know, just please notice me. And yet Jesus says, dad, my dad in heaven. And this word that he uses is incredibly intimate. It's so close. And yet at the same time, he uses heaven which is an infinite word. And so right there, Jesus is saying, our Father, this intimate phrase in heaven, so infinite. In other words, God, God, you're bigger than I can possibly understand, and yet you are closer than I know. You are intimate with me, our Father in heaven. See, Jesus addresses God as intimate and infinite. And this is big because I know for a lot of us, some of us kind of lean on one side or another. Some of you, it's really easy to address God as intimate. Some of you, it's really easy to address God as infinite. And yet Jesus does both in one sentence. And I'm telling you, it was earth shattering to the people that were listening during that day. See, for some of you, you've got the intimate down, right? You know, it's like, it's like, you know, you're talking to God and you're like, what's up, bro? How we doing? You good? I'm good. You know, this is, this is fun. Um, anyways, you're great. Love you. Talk to you later. 
peace, you know, and like that's the way you pray. And you got this like intimate, like God's my bro, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. It's like, it's like, it's like all that stuff kind of together. And so you know that he, he can be intimate with you and yet you've forgotten that he can be infinite, that God is infinite. In other words, this like bro that you're talking to is the bro that created the world. This is the bro that holds the universe in his hands. This is the God that spoke and light came out of darkness. And every time you see like all the stars in the sky and all the, all the trees outside and all the stuff crawling on the ground, God made that. God thought of that. When you laugh, God thought of laughter. God is huge. God is big. He's bigger than you can possibly understand. And so yes, you can be intimate with him. And yet he is infinite. He's infinite. And then for some of you, you know, you got the infinite part down. In fact, maybe that's why you're kind of afraid to pray to God because you're like, God, you're, you know, you're really big and like, oh, you got so much stuff to do, God. You know, you, you don't really have time for me. I don't even know if you know my name. My name is Steve. Yeah, you probably don't even care what my name is. God, you're just big. You know, if you can just maybe look at me and not be angry and maybe if you can just kind of think about me every once in a while. But again, you're big, you know, you're out there. You're, you know, you're massive. And yet that God that is big out there and has a lot of other stuff to do and has all this other stuff going on knows you like a dad should know his kids. And he knows you by name. And he cares about you. And the small stuff that you don't even want to bring up to him, he cares about. Because he loves you. See, Jesus addresses God as intimate and infinite. And he uses a word that... Uh, that I want to talk about for just a second. The word he uses is father. And father is uh, an emotionally charged word, okay? Father is a word that it's not neutral. Like there's something inside of you that rises up whether you want it to or not when you hear the word father. You know, for some of you, when you think of father, you think of your dad and your dad is like a great dad, you know? He loves you, he cares about you, he's gracious to you, he, he forgives you and yet at the same time he disciplines you the way that, you know, he should and, and, and he's just this really like great dad and so when you think of father, you're like, oh, awesome. Father's like, you know, the, the guy that loves me, he's the guy that cares about me, he's the guy that supports me and he shows up to my games, and he shows up to my practices, and he shows up for me. But for others of you, when you think of father, you think of dad, you think of the guy that's like, like he's just really busy, you know? It's like there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on at work, you know, and, 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 and he's got to be gone again. He loves you, you know, cares about you, but like he's just not really home because, because, you know, the office, I mean, after all, like, you know, if you had a job, you'd understand, you know, so dad's got to be away, you know, for, for, for a long time and he's not really there. And so when you think of dad, you think of someone that, yeah, I mean, he cares about you. He's just kind of, he's not really there that often. Some of you, when you think of dad, you think of someone who's like a disciplinarian, you know? It's like nothing you do will ever be enough and he keeps pushing you and he keeps like asking you to do more and more and it's like nothing you do is ever good enough and if you get, you know, if you get an A, it's like it better be an A plus because I know that my girl or my guy is capable of more and he keeps pushing and pushing and every now and then you're like, I just want to break for a second. So when you think of dad, you think of this guy that just keeps pushing you and he never gives you a break. He's just always wanting more and more and more. And for some of you, when you think of dad, you're like, who? <laughs> That'd be nice. No, but he left a long time ago. He, um, he didn't have time for me, you know, or my brother or my mom. So he left. That's what I think of when I think of dad. He's just not around. 
doesn't have time for me. And then for some of you, when you think of dad, you think of, you think of a guy that's abusive in his words, the way he talks to you. And for some of you, even physically abusive. And so when you think of dad, all sorts of anger and hate and depression rises up in you. And you start to think, that's nice, Jesus, that you would talk to God and say, our father in heaven. But if God is like my dad, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And so when you start thinking about this word, father, all these emotions rise up in you. And I want you to know something today. God is not the reflection of your dad. He is the perfection of your dad. God is not like your dad. He is better. So if you've got a dad that loves you and he's gracious to you and he cares so much about you, God cares even more. God's even more forgiving. God's even more loving. Think of the greatest thing your dad has ever done. God has done even more because he loves you that much. And if you think of a dad that's abusive and that hurts you, you need to know your God in heaven is a dad that heals you and cares about you. If your dad's just never around, God is there for you. And all the times that you've wanted a dad to be there, your heavenly father has been saying, I'm here. I'm not like your dad. I'm better than your dad. I'm the perfection of your dad. Everything you want in your dad is found in me and then some. If you want grace from your dad, I've got grace for you. If you want love from your dad, I've got love for you. If you want to hear I'm proud of you, son, or I'm proud of you, daughter, you hear that from me because I am not the reflection of your dad. I am the perfection of your dad. And so when you begin to pray, and Jesus, when he began to pray, he began to pray our Father in heaven, a huge word, a big word that no one was ready for when he said Father, and yet it was not because he was like all the other dads, it's because he was like every dad should be. Our Father in heaven. And then after that, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And hallowed is just a word that means holy, it means set apart, it means it's like different, you know, than, 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 than everything else. And this is crazy when you think about it. What he's saying is God's name is unlike any other name you've ever heard. In fact, the people listening during the, the time of Jesus, when, whenever they would write something about God, they thought God's name was so holy that they couldn't even write it, so they would skip over it. That's how set apart this name was. In Revelation, when, when Jesus saw a glimpse of who God was, the way that, uh, or sorry, when John saw a glimpse of who God was, John wrote down this. He said, he has a name that no one knows but he himself. That's how big his name is. No one even knows it but God himself. He's a big old God with a big old name. And if his name is that big, how big is his character? And so before moving on, Jesus would say, when you begin to talk with God, before asking him questions, before asking him for a favor, you gotta know who you're talking to. And Jesus would say, don't move on until you know he is your father, an intimate phrase, in heaven, so infinite, and his name, even his name is bigger than you can possibly know. And then once you get that and you're ready to move forward, this is the next prayer. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And this is, this is kind of strange, I know, for a lot of us because we don't really use the word kingdom you know, that much, unless you're talking about, you know, like a, like a game, you know, like some game that you play on your phone, it's like kingdom, you know, so normally when you think of kingdom, you know, you think of uh, uh, like a castle, and like a drawbridge, you know, and like you got to have the fort with the guy on top with the arrows, you know, like that's what you think of when you think of kingdom, but what Jesus was saying is all of us, myself included, have a kingdom, you have a kingdom, and you have a kingdom, and I have a kingdom, and our kingdom isn't built with watchtowers and drawbridges and moats. Our kingdom is built by likes and retweets, by popularity, by recognition in sports, by grades, by the stuff that you have, by the money that you have, by the job that you have, by the car that you drive, by the house that your parents have. That's your kingdom. In fact, there was... Um, it was about two months ago uh, uh, when y'all were on spring break. I saw something on, on Twitter, and uh, some of you saw this. It, it, it was a picture. This is not going to be surprising. It was a picture of a cat, um, of course, because it's the internet. Okay, so it was a picture of a cat, and it was the thing where, like, somehow they got rid of the background, and so um, it had the caption, swipe up to see the cat fly. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, and so then you get it, and you're like, woo, and, you, you know, you did it like, 12 times because it's just so fun and you saw this cat like fly up your screen well well i saw it like so many of you you know you're retweeting this you're favoriting it you know all this stuff and i was like man that's that's so cool wouldn't it be funny you know wouldn't it be neat to to do like a you know something where like i was flying you know i just think that'd be that'd be kind of fun and so so I, so i took a picture we got rid of the background and then we posted it and we said swipe up to see steve fly and i didn't really think about it and so then we put it out there and as soon as we posted it, all of a sudden my phone started blowing up. And there's all these like retweets and all these favorites and, you know, people replying to it and stuff. And it was like, you know, retweet and favorite, favorite, retweet, quote, tweet, you know, people talking about it. And um, by the end, this is, this is what it looked like. Um, so that's just kind of a, like a glimpse of it. Uh, and it's tough to see. There were 45 retweets and 52 favorites which is like more than anything on H12 has ever like happened before, anything on my personal account that's ever happened. And so like I'm seeing this happen. I'm like, man, a lot of people want to see me fly. You know, this is, this is awesome, you know? And like there are people that I have no connection to. It's like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend that are like retweeting this. So people I don't even know are like retweeting swipe up to see Steve fly. And then all their friends are seeing it and they're, you know, favoriting and they're retweeting. And I'm like, all these people, all these people want to see me fly. And that quickly transitioned to all these people want to see me. Oh, and my kingdom looks pretty good right now because I got 45 retweets. You know, let me see you get 45 retweets. That's what I'm talking about. And it's got my face right up there, right? I got 45. My kingdom is looking amazing. And Jesus would step in and he would say, it's not about your kingdom. It's not about your retweets. It's not about your favorites. It's not about the stuff that you have or the money that you have or the car that you drive. It's about my kingdom. And if you want to pray like Jesus, have true prayer, then true prayer is focused on God's kingdom, not mine. True prayer is focused on God's kingdom, not mine. And this is tough for us because we love our kingdom. 
and we love our retweets and we love our favorites and we love the recognition that we get. And when other people talk about us, it just feels good and it's incredible and we love watching our kingdom build up. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, the prayer that you need to have is God today, when my kingdom interferes with your kingdom, I want your kingdom to win. God, even though I don't know what you're going to ask of me, I want you to know before you even ask it, the answer is yes. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how tough it is, no matter how small my kingdom gets, I want your kingdom to grow. God, it's not about you leveraging your influence to build my kingdom. It's about me leveraging my influence to build your kingdom. I want your kingdom to come, not my own. And I think, I think if we were to pray like this and that we wouldn't move on from each line until we actually believed it, I think the way that we would pray would change. See, the length of your prayer should be determined by how long it takes you to get through this and actually mean it. So sometimes you're going to kneel down and you're going to pray and you're going to say, Our Father, and then you're going to stop there because that's tough. It's tough to say, You're my perfect dad. For some of you, that may, may take a minute. Others of you, it may take 30 minutes to say, Our Father in heaven. For others of you, it might be tough to really kind of get your mind around the fact that his name is bigger than your name, than my name. But I think for many of you, if you're like me, the most difficult part of this prayer is this, is your kingdom come, not mine. And what would it look like for you to stay praying until you actually believe that? To say, God, I love you. And I've got a lot of plans for today. But before I do any of those, I want you to know that if you ask me to do something that goes against my kingdom, but it builds up yours. Okay. God, even if it hurts me, I want your kingdom to grow. Even if it causes me pain, I want your will to be done. I mean, imagine how, how different it would be if we prayed like this. What if, what if when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you say, God, you're big. I mean, you're huge. You're bigger than I can possibly understand. There are stars that are millions of light years away from us that we haven't even seen yet because the light is still trying to reach us and it's so big and it's so massive and the universe is ever expanding and yet you hold that in your hand and you spoke it into existence. You are a big God that has so much other stuff to do and yet you love me and you know me by name because you're my dad. And your name is like huge. We don't even know it. It's so big, we can't even know how big your name is, but that just tells us how huge and incredible and great you are and how great your character is. And so in light of the fact that you're a big God who actually cares about me and you're not the reflection of my dad, you're the perfection of my dad, I want you to know that whatever you want to do today, yes. That whatever you ask me to do, the answer is yes. And I'm going to do it because I 
am not going to be about my kingdom today. I'm going to be about yours. And when there's conflict between my kingdom and your kingdom, I want your kingdom to win. And throughout the day, I'm going to keep saying your kingdom come and your kingdom come and I want your kingdom to come. Not my kingdom, not my likes, not my retweets, not my recognition, not people liking me, not popularity. Your kingdom come. And I think if we prayed this way, our prayers would be different. And I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if there, I mean, just imagine if you began to pray this way and this became a part of your rhythm every day, you would wake up and pray this way. What if someone else would eventually come up to you and say, hey, teach me how to pray because you're doing something different. Because when you pray, there's like emotional breakthrough and there's this spiritual breakthrough and you're doing something that I'm not doing, would you teach me how to pray? Imagine what it would look like if your friends asked you that question. But it all starts with us committing to pray like Jesus. And so here's the final question for you. Will you commit to pray like Jesus? Will you commit to pray before asking anything, before, you know, God, I really need you to pay attention to me and my world and all the things going on. Would you commit to praying, God, you're big and yet you love me and I want your kingdom to come? I think you would find your heavenly father is far greater than you and I can possibly understand. And that many of the things on your asking God list are already met in the fact that you have a father in heaven who loves you and who cares for you. And so now I want us together to pray and to ask God to help us with this. So God, you are huge. You are big. You are massive. There is no one that compares to you. There is no one that is like you. There is no other God. You're the only one. You're the one that created everything. You are huge. You invented everything that we enjoy. You are famous. Your renown is known across the world. And even the galaxies are shouting your name. And yet your name that is far bigger than we can possibly understand is father to us. And you are my dad, not the reflection of my dad, but the perfection of my dad. And so we want you to know together, we're collectively telling you, your kingdom come. Not the kingdom of H12, not the kingdom of M12, not the kingdom of 12 stone, not the kingdom of my family, not the kingdom of my friends, but we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives. And whenever you ask us to do something, we want you to know the answer is already yes. We're in. Would you help us pray? Teach us how to pray so that we would discover how great and incredible you are. And so we can only pray because of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.